I'm reading uh, out of John chapter 16 tonight. We're going to read all the verses. Uh, I'm reading out of the uh, New King James. I guess the, the overhead will be in the ESV. And most of these words are in red, so it's Jesus' words. So let's start in uh, chapter uh, 16 of John, and we'll go all the way through to, uh, to the end in verse 33. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, and when the time comes, you may remember that I told you them. And these things I do not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. And if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin, because they do not believe in me of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you will see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will not see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, What is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is, about in, <clears throat> when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, 
For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. And again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See now, you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you, sh you know all things and have no need for anyone should question you. But this we believe that you came forth from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am now not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribula tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, all through the book of John, Lord, he talks about love and, and forgiveness, and, and these things are hard for us to bear at times in this life. We see it all around us. There is so much hatred and, and derision amongst all peoples, races, political affiliations, even churches, Lord. We just pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we will be able to absorb and to figure out and to love the people that are around us, Lord, that the Lord said in the last days that we will have tribulation. And it is true, we are having more every day. And there will be coming a time, maybe in our lifetimes, that we'll see great persecution for our own faith, Lord. And I think that the only way, Lord, that we can really have strength against this, this, Lord, is to have the love that your Holy Spirit empowers upon us. Love our enemies. Those are hard words for us to put into action oftentimes, Lord. But we thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells us. And we ask for filling of the Holy Spirit that he might come inside and empower us to make the hard choices to love our enemy. Because hatred is sin. As the Bible plainly says that hatred is sin. And so we do not want to sin against you, Lord. And so fill us, Lord, that we might have love in our hearts, Lord, for each other. Righteous love, Lord, and understanding, God. And we just pray, Lord, through this morning, God, that you would fill Jackie with your Holy Spirit and that your word would go forth and touch everyone's heart here and, and out in the internet, Lord, and and that you would bless those people, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Jerry wants to know how I do it. I take everything else off my iPad, so there's nothing that can pop up. It just has Bible. My grandkids come and they say, Papa, can we play with your iPad? And I says, well, if you want to play with my Bible, I guess you can, but that's all that's on there. They're disappointed all the time. We want one with more games. So today as we look in John 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 16 to 33. And Jesus is still, we're still on that, that evening, right? Well, I told you five chapters, we're going to deal with the final evening uh, leading up to the crucifixion. And as we continue, Jesus is telling them things that are 
are making them feel just like the last song we sang. There's a line in that last song that talks about, uh, I lost myself, I don't, I'm terrible, Alzheimer's is coming, but that God knows where all my pieces are. And so Jesus is telling them, I'm leaving, and they, he has totally took their wheelbarrow and dumped it out on the ground. While they're walking from the upper room down into the Kidron Valley up on the Mount of Olives, which is a, not a long walk. So as they're passing the way, passing, basically as you read, <clears throat> excuse me, from 13 through, uh, through 18, you're going to, in that amount of time, you would have finished. You're at, you're at Gethsemane. So as, they, as they're going on their way, Jesus has dumped out all of this, I'm leaving and I'm going and I'm, don't worry, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to leave you orphans, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a helper. And all of these things have totally... Uh, Shanghai their day. Anybody ever had a day Shanghai? Like you thought it was going to be a certain way and then it didn't go that way? So as we look here at the beginning at these first few verses, we're going to see a problem of understanding. The disciples don't have the language and they don't really understand what's going on. Last Friday, I got a call that... Uh, they needed me to come by and sign a check, so I came by and <clears throat> signed a check, and the kids were all getting ready to go to youth retreat, <clears throat> and uh, Mark was in his office. He had two of Josh, Josh's two little boys in there with him, and, and uh, um, I walked in, and his youngest looks up at me and says, why are you so fat? <laughs> And I thought to myself, you are a lot like your dad. <laughs> it was funny, but as I, as I looked at it, you know, I understand that he is, we, all, we like to say things like, oh, children, they just speak purity. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far yet. Uh, but I do know that they don't always understand what you should or what you shouldn't say, right? And we see the same thing going on with the disciples. And here's what I want you to understand. The same thing is happening with you. I don't care how old you are. So as soon as we have somebody in here who has never said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing, y'all can tell me all about it. But last I checked, we're all guilty. We're just like the disciples. We do the same boneheaded things we struggle day in and day out which is one of the reasons why God challenges us to learn to live with grace for one another the same grace he extends to us right so as we look at John 16 he says a little while you'll see me no longer and again a little while and you will see me so some of his disciples said to one another what I know there's a lot more words than that, but I'm, that's basically what they say. Oh, right? Don't you see it? I mean, what does he mean? A little while and you'll not see me. In a little while and you will see me because I am going to the Father. Which means what? They're confused. Because part of the, their whole world, in John chapter 13, right? They, they heard it, that Peter's going to deny Jesus. And, and there's a betrayer in their midst. 
And as they've, every step they've taken, there's been a little bit more bad news, a little bit more bad news, a little bit more challenging things laid out from Christ to his disciples. And every step they, they are meeting, they are meeting in this last 24 hours, the disciples are meeting who they really are. And the sooner we can all do that, the sooner we can all get past all this. Who are you really? There is our self-perception, right? And then there is reality. And sometimes it'll be a three-year-old who will give you your reality. Your perception does not always equal reality, does it? No, sometimes it's askew. And so the disciples are, are seeing that. So the Lord lays out, there's, there's two primary views uh, theologically about what Jesus is talking about here. One that, that I can't quite wrap my mind around and one that makes sense. Usually when that happens, I figure that people much smarter than I uh, just like to make things more complicated. So the two views are Jesus is saying, in a moment I'm going to die less than 24 hours, and you're not going to see me anymore. And then in a moment, you will see me again. To me, that makes the most sense. But there is a view that, that says he's talking about his ascension in the second coming. That, but I think in, in one sense, both of them can be real for you and me. I think for the disciples, Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. But you and I, we look backwards to the cross. So for us, his ascension and the reality that we've lived most of our lives not being able to see him visibly, but we will see his face. Jesus, what Jesus said in, in John 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, what did he say? I will what? Come again. To do what? Bring you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. So we have this promise. So Jesus laying out this idea. Look, you, they haven't seen anything yet. They think this night is really weird and it's, it's not really going well, but you know what? Tomorrow everything will be okay. But you and I know there's no tomorrow for them. They, their whole world is about to be rocked like we, you and I can't even imagine. Well, maybe you can. Because sometimes you get a phone call you weren't expecting or something happens that can knock you off of the rails. And that's exactly what's going to happen to the disciples. And we, our first tendency is to do what they did and scatter. So Jesus wants to prepare them for the eventuality of that reality and then to encourage them that he is with them. He is with us. And there is a way to overcome all the heartache and suffering and troubles and trials that, we've, that we're going to face. So he says, why are you asking yourselves? He knows what's going on, right? Is this, why are you asking what I meant by what I was saying a little while you will not see me. Again, a little while you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament and the world will rejoice. That's how, that's how their world's going to turn. The world will rejoice over it and you are going to be wrecked by it. One of the things I love 
about the Lord is he does not lie to us. And he does not tell us the, the things maybe that we'd like to hear. He tells us the truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. Those two words, you, you cannot have a stronger uh, sentence about mourning. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. We have Jesus now expressing to them the promise of the blessing. And the blessing is based on two realities. Two realities that are linked together. You can't break these two apart. One is that your sorrow will be turned to joy. That our sorrow, mourning, our weeping, our suffering is temporary. There is a permanent state coming that is joy. He inextricably links our joy with prayer. So he goes on. He says, now listen, I want you to know, it's like a woman giving birth. She has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she doesn't remember the anguish for the joy that a human being has been brought into the world. I always think of my own children being born. I think about Cole. You heard Kathy laugh, huh? <laughs> she knows what's coming. She, this is our second one. We figured we were experts. So we didn't do all the things we did on the first one. You know, we read all the books. We understood all the rules. I still got yelled at the whole time. But the, some of you guys maybe experienced that too. Um, but anyways, we felt pretty well prepared, you know, for number one. And it only been a couple years, so we should be fine. So when Kathy's delivering Cole, she's, she goes from four to ten in one contraction. She did it for three children in a row. It's like clockwork. Now, I didn't know this until number three. That's why number three was almost born in a closet. <laughs> number two, number two, I remember Kathy, she's, she's hits that moment of transition, and she's riding that transition out, and then all of a sudden she goes, I need to push, and then both her eyeballs popped. <laughs> yeah, you ever seen the whites of somebody's eyes turn blood red in a second? while they're speaking in a deep, guttural voice. <laughs> so I almost tripped the doctor backing away. I was looking for where I was supposed to run, how this was supposed to work out. I'm not sure what just happened, but that's not what's supposed That didn't happen the first time. And a couple of minutes later, Cole is, is born, and Cole is laying on his mother, and I never thought about all that stuff. Kathy was not crying or moaning. She was cooing and holding her baby, and it was beautiful. And that's what the Lord is talking about, that picture, that illustration. It's a metaphor for suffering and joy. That we will go through suffering is something that Jesus is proclaiming to his disciples right then and to all of us today. We will go through suffering. 
Has anyone in the building gone through this life and not suffered yet? So we have nobody who has escaped without suffering, which means what Jesus said is true. But here's the other part. One day, all our suffering will be turned to joy. We don't experience that yet. Maybe little glimpses we get. I think the disciples get a little glimpse when Jesus rises from the dead, right? But it's a little glimpse. Why? Because he's going to go again. Are you tracking with me? There's a day Jesus promises in the book of Revelation. He says to you and I, see, I am making all things new. That's not some things, a few things, all things. All your tears, all your suffering, all your pain. He is going to turn it. That is a great hope. And so Jesus illustrates this with the metaphor of a woman in, in the labor, in delivery. But once she's delivered the baby, she doesn't remember the anguish for joy that a human being has come. So Jesus says, also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Now he's going to talk to us about that. The reality of our joy being linked to our ability to speak to the Father. Look what he says as he continues this idea. He's going to challenge us to pray. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be here. So right now, when the disciples need something, they just talk to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, can we get something to eat? Or can we stop? It's been a long day. Is this a good place? Should we sleep under the tree tonight? They had normal communication with Jesus. But Jesus is saying, I'm going away. And he's inviting them to enjoy that with the Father. Even though he's not going to be there. A relationship with God opens up for the disciples. Let me say it this way. A relationship with the Father opens up for the disciples they had never had before. They had a unique relationship with Christ as they walked with Christ, right? Do you think about it as a day-to-day, the things that the Bible doesn't even tell us about, the conversations that they had, the questions that they asked? And the invitation is being laid out from Jesus that they can pray to the Father like asking him for things. That they are able to go to him. Listen, James 5.13 says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone among you suffering? So I just said, we went through the building and nobody here who had not gone through suffering in their life. James says, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. We know Philippians 4, 6, and 7, right? It tells us not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Anybody anxious? Nobody wants to admit anxious? Anxiety? Look, most of you call me all week long. I happen to know. I don't ask questions that I don't know the answers to. <laughs> 
Yeah, we have anxiety. We're anxious about our world. We're anxious about things within our family. We're anxious about an illness that we have. We're anxious about many things. But the Lord says, what do we do in our anxiety? We pray. Are you utilizing what Jesus gives to the disciples as an incredible gift? The same way you've been walking around, we've been going through town by town and the conversations we've had. You're not going to be able to talk to me anymore. But you can talk to my father. He'll hear you. He will respond. The challenge throughout scripture is to challenge God's people to pray. We have so many miracles that we have experienced here at Calvary Chapel Buell watching God do incredible things. Marty's here with us this morning. I think, was it four weeks ago, Marty? So four weeks ago, she had a heart attack. And we prayed, and her doctor testified that it was her prayer that saved her. It was the prayers of, of the saints. We saw in the announcements, uh, Don MacArthur. Don MacArthur fell from two stories uh, last week and broke his femur and tore his ACL. Uh, Zandra, his wife, is uh, j recovering from surgery. And Matthew, his son, is uh, struggling uh, with his health as well. So we have three in the family down. And what do they need? Our prayer. Will there be surgeries? For sure. Yeah, there'll be surgeries. Doctors will do their repair, but what are God's people supposed to do? Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Jesus is telling the disciples, you need to pray. You need to pray, not as a last resort, not like I tried everything else, you know, and I don't have any money and I'm out of gas, I guess I'll pray. <laughs> but that we would seek him. Seek him. Listen to this section again. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy, what did he say? May be full. You see that he links joy, the blessing of joy, and fullness of joy with God's people praying. Praying. And we need to be a people of prayer. There's four things he links with this uh, when he talks about the things that uh, are, you know, what God has provided for us in prayer, bringing our requests before the Father. Four things. One, he talks about his absence. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. He's not going to be standing there anymore. So it's the absence of Christ. But the second thing is, it's his, in his authority, according to his character, the authority of Christ. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, according to my character, what lines up with who Christ is, that's how we're supposed to pray. I challenge people all the time. You know, I, I, I don't think I'm a mystic. I think I'm a pragmatist, which maybe is bad, I don't know, but... But I have a tendency to be practical. And the practical thing is the word of God says that if you love God 
with all your heart. He will put into your heart desires. You love the Lord with all your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. That does not mean my desire is for a new car or a new house or that my wife would change or my husband would become the man of my dreams. That's not the desires unless you love the Lord your God with all your heart. If you love the law of the Lord, he repeats in Psalms, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. How can I trust my own desire, my prayers, the things I want? How can I trust them if I'm not connected to the Lord? I'm not connected to him through his word. I'm not connected to him in love with him. I can trust my desires when that is true. Does that make sense? I can trust my desire because I love him. Because I love his word. Then I can trust my desire and I pray in his name. And he says, my father will do it. My father will do it. He, will, he gives us an assurance of answered prayer. Jesus is saying, look, on the basis of the atoning work that he's about to accomplish for them on the cross, they are able to approach God and God will answer their prayers. That's a pretty amazing promise that Jesus is laying out for them. The last thing he's telling them is, this is your key to joy. This is your key to joy. Pray. Jesus told a parable for the purpose of challenging men everywhere that they would not lose heart. You know what he said? Pray. You don't want to lose heart? Anybody ever lost heart? Anybody ever want to quit? Everybody ever want to just pitch it all into the fire and walk away? Yeah? The Lord says, you want to know how not to get there? Pray. Pray. Pray like the disciples were talking with Jesus when they were walking through town. Not pray. I, people tell me all the time, uh, well, not all the time, but occasionally when we gather in groups and we pray out loud and people feel self-conscious, I never prayed out loud. But just talk, to, just talk to God. I don't care if you ever pray out loud in one of our groups. Just talk to God like you're walking down the way. Stay connected with him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? You remember it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know in those two, all the Ten Commandments fit under those two categories? Loving God, loving people. Jesus wants us to experience joy and that connection. Now, he goes on to, to speak to them. He says, listen, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I do not say that, that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and I have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and 
going to the Father. Now, you and I, on this side of the cross, that is pretty simple. We understand Jesus is talking about he's about to die. He's about to be crucified. Then he'll be resurrected. He'll spend a short time with the disciples and he will ascend to the Father. But for them, they're, I think, so tired of being wrong all the time that they're going to God, open their mouth and park their foot clearly into it. Listen to what they say. His disciples said, oh, now you're speaking plainly. They don't know what's going on. Have you ever had somebody tell you that they understand what's going on and you look in their eye and you know they don't understand what's going on? What they mean is, look, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Right? Have you ever done that? Husbands to your wives or wives to your husbands? You know, the umpteenth time that he has questioned your ability to park the car in the garage or perhaps vice versa. The, 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 the conversations that I've had with my wife about why is it so hard for me to hang my jacket up on the hooks that the jackets go on instead of put it on the chair around the table. And then she'll be explaining to me the problems about that decision. When I hang my jacket on the chairs, the back of the chair gets weak and it starts to fall apart. And then I get that glassy look in my eye and I say, oh, yeah, I understand. Which just means I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I don't care about the dumb chair. <laughs> I, that, that doesn't happen to none of you guys. This is, what the disciples, this is what the disciples are saying. Oh, now you're speaking plainly and you're not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things. So you always got to put a little flattery in there when you do this. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Now they know the answer is always going to be, Jesus came from God and we believe in you. But they don't understand any of the things that he's been saying to them. But they're, they're on their way. Maybe they're down at the bottom of the Kidron Valley and they look up and they got all the uphill in front of them going up to the Mount of Olives and they're thinking, I... I just, what if we just walked in silence for a while? Would that be okay? I honestly think that's what they're feeling. But Jesus isn't done. He wants them to understand, not only as we, as we look at this, do we see this problem of their understanding, not being able to wrap their mind about what's going on, but trying to come to the ground where they hold fast to his promise, right? That there's joy and that there is the ability to pray, to go before the Father. They have these things that they're holding on to, but now he's going to tell them, wait, it's going to get worse. It's going, to be, it's going to be worse. Jesus says in verse 31, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you all will be scattered. Each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Oh, wait, that just got worse. I think the disciples are thinking, man, I, I don't know how much more bad news I can take. This is a weird night. I don't really understand why, why it started so good, and, 
everything seemed like it was up, but man, it just seems like one thing after another thing after another thing. And man, I just, I just want Jesus to, to stop. I just want him to, let's, let's just go to the, let's just go up to the mountain. Let's go to sleep. Let's, let's end the day. But Jesus says, wait, it's worse. You're all going to bail on me and leave me alone. There's not one that will, there's not one that will still be there. So, so far this night, a betrayer has been announced. Judas was sent about his business. Peter was warned that he was going to deny the Lord three times. And now every disciple hears they're all going to scatter and bail on him. Tonight. What do you think that felt like for them? It's so vital for mankind to have an accurate view of who he is. Because when we do that, it, it protects us from being the person that says, well, at least I'm not like that guy. I'm sure there were disciples going, I'm glad I'm not Peter. You see how many times Peter opens his mouth? Mm, but the Lord told him he's going to be a denier. Mm, that's right. But I ain't Peter. So just in case, you're all going to cut and run. You're all going to leave me. Tonight, he lays that out before them, the peril of the cross. In Matthew 26, 56, it says, But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Zechariah 13, 7 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts, Yaba Sabaoth. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Strike my shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But Jesus is not finished. He wants them to understand he's okay. He says, yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. So he's talking about the peril of the cross. You're all going to scatter, but I'm not alone. All throughout scripture, <clears throat> through the most difficult circumstances that men will face, the challenge of scripture, the answer to that suffering, that time of tribulation, that difficulty is always the presence of God. Not the deliverance. Now, that doesn't mean the Lord never delivers. He does. We can read stories about God's deliverance all throughout the Old Testament, right? The Lord is able to deliver. But his promise is not always deliverance. His promise is his presence. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. It's his presence. And so 
Jesus is declaring the same reality. Look, I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. So he's got the peril of the cross, but the presence of the Father. And then he says, I have said these things to you. I'm telling you all these things this night, this night that you're never going to forget. I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. I'm telling you this so you can have peace. What do they have right now? They got anxiety. They got stress. They got a lot of things. But Jesus is telling them this so that they may have peace. <clears throat> I have said these things to you. What's he saying? In me is peace. What's the next part of the verse? In the world, you will have tribulation. Two categories he lays out for us. One of peace, one of tribulation. As Michelle was singing that song as we were worshiping earlier, she quoted Isaiah 26.3. You know what it says? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So when Jesus is laying out the concept, he's saying, look, I'm telling you this so that you'll have peace. Because he wants him to know, I already know who you are, and I chose you. Peter, I already know you're a denier. All the rest of you guys, I know you're not going to stand with me when you need to. I know who you are already. And you need to hear that God already knows who you are. So stop trying to be something you're not. And just own who you are. Not some giant mask you got to put on so that everybody else thinks you're something else. Recognize that God knows you and he chose you and he loves you for you. The you that's messed up. The you that has a bad attitude. The you that gets up with morning breath every morning. The you that has bedhead all day unless somebody decides to come over and then you're going to comb your hair. The you that wants to sleep till noon. Or the you that wants to get up or stay up late or whatever the thing is. We spend all this time trying to portray a false righteousness because someone somewhere a hundred years ago wrote down a lot of things on a piece of paper that you're supposed to do to be righteous. This is what Jesus said. What you're supposed to do to be righteous is believe in him. His righteousness makes me righteous. His blood washes me clean. So when we, the blessing of the promise of peace in Christ came for me the day I knelt at a couch in a single wide trailer after having betrayed my wife a thousand times and hearing from the doctors that I was going to die because of my sin and all the garbage I was going to kill my wife because of my sin. My sin was going to destroy our child. There was no hope for mankind in those days. And I knelt at a couch in a single wide trailer in the middle of nowhere, Midway Park, North Carolina. 
Nobody knows where that's at. Nobody knows. Nobody, the trailer's probably not even there anymore. And I talked to God like he was right there. And I told him who I was. Now, he knew already. But I told him who I was. Because it was important that I know. And the Lord answered my prayer. He restored a marriage. He saved my family. He saved me. He continues to work in and through me. But Jesus, listen, Jesus said, as he watches two people pray, one guy came and beat his breast and talked about how holy he was. And one guy, one guy came and beat his breast and talked about what a sinner he was. And Jesus said, that one has left here justified. My father don't hear that one. That's important. It's important, and this is the key to our peace. We have peace in Christ. He is my peace. He is everything that I need. I don't need to, be, to pretend to be somebody else. I have never got up here and told you I'm not a knucklehead. Never one time. I have never told you I got it all figured out or I make every right decision. I have told you. I have even apologized in church in the beginning because I've been riding my motorcycle all week. And I probably made somebody mad when I passed them. I'm just telling you who I am. But I know God knows that already and he loves me. I know God knows that already and Christ died for me. I know that his blood washes me clean. And I know one day God's going to fix those things in my life that I haven't surrendered fully yet. But that's God's job. He's good at it. I trust him. So when I look at the world and it's all in chaos and all this stuff's going on, in the world you're going to have chaos. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. But in him you have peace. Do you know him like that? Do you, do you feel his presence like that? Have you been open and honest with him like that? The disciples haven't yet, but they're going to. That's the end of the Gospel of John. You guys ever read it? Don't worry, we'll get there in a while. <clears throat> I want you to hear the promise of victory. I don't want to just leave us here. So I want you to hear the promise of victory. In me, peace. In the world, tribulation. But take heart I have overcome that's the word nikao some of you might even have some of them on your feet Nike means victory I have conquered I have overcome here's what Jesus is telling them he said look I want you guys take heart you don't know yet. I know I'm scaring you, and I've told you all these things before they happen so that you'll know that I understand that they're coming. But listen, I want you to know 
In me you'll have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Take heart. For I have beat this world. He has won. Victory is assured. He has brought the benefit. He wants us to take heart. Who is the overcomer? 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Who is the overcomer? The believer. Anybody who has placed their faith and trust in Christ is an overcomer. That should make you feel encouraged. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. That's what John is writing in 1 John 5, 4. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God? This is the overcomer. The Lord is saying, take heart, I have overcome. Because he has overcome, you and I can become overcomers. We don't just stay in that place where I have an accurate view and understanding of who I am. Because the Lord not only knows who you are, he also knows who you can be. And he will give you victory. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, seven letters to seven churches all have a proclamation to believers. They go like this. To the one who overcomes. We talked about who that is, right? Who is the conqueror? Who is the overcomer? The believer. These are letters to churches. He's saying to the one who conquers. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the overcomer, the one who conquers, will not be hurt by the second death. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, new start, with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. To the one who conquers, the overcomer, who keeps my works to the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. To the one who conquers, he will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess him before my Father and before the angels. To the one who overcomes the conqueror, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne to the overcomer. So since this world brings affliction and suffering and pain, here are four things I want you to remember. The Holy Spirit is come. He is our comforter, our counselor, and an ever-present help in times of trouble. Number two, God will turn our sorrow to joy. Failure 
is not final or fatal. Failure is not final or fatal. Our sorrow will become joy. Number three, God answers prayer. We have access before the throne of grace. And last, his peace is ours in Christ. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us all one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus has taken down the things that divide. He makes us one. And he brings peace. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for the time we can spend in your word and that we can be challenged by your word and that your word will do a perfect work in us. Thank you for your faithfulness in my brokenness. I thank you for your righteousness in my wretchedness. I thank you, and I do not take lightly your forgiveness for my failures. But I also know your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, I pray as we gather today and as we go about our time, that we recognize the things that you are calling your people to, that you are the path peace, that this world will always be a churning ball of chaos, but you have overcome and you make us overcomers. For we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We are able We are able to be what you call us because you empower us to be that by your Holy Spirit. You know me, God. You know, you know who I am better than anybody else. And you love me still. And then you challenge us as believers. As I have loved you, you love one another.
So Lord, the things you call us to be and do, you empower us to be and do. God, may we surrender our pride. May we walk out into the ash heap in our sackcloth and dump it on our heads because a people covered with sackcloth and ashes can't tell who's wealthy or poor who's pretty or ugly we all look the same in the ash heap Lord, your word declares, if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. He will tenderly place his hand beneath your chin and lift you up. With one wipe of his hand, all the ash, all the dirt, all the grime, falls to the ground because it can't stick if he says it can't. He throws this blazing white robe around you. Turns around and walks you before the throne of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. says dad this is my beloved he calls us to be and do for his glory may his love mercy and grace motivate us to do so and may he receive the praise and glory he is due we put this time in your hands our great God and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.